Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Lepi Duels episode 29. I'm your host, Jacob Arvidsson, and we are pumped to have you with us today. Before we get rolling, if you have not subscribed to the channel yet, go ahead and smash that subscribe button down below. All your support, we appreciate it. Our next giveaway will be at 300 subscribers, so we're just about there. Go ahead and get us over the hump. We'll have a fantastic giveaway lined up for you on the next episode. All right, you know how the show works. Let's meet the cast. We got a special returning member from a long time ago. I'm excited for you to meet them. All right, first up, defending his title from two weeks ago, the owner of Crew 42, Zach O'Haran. Taking on Zach in round one. You guys know him as Papa Wolf. He's the brand manager at Great Lakes Disc and the tournament director of the Michigan Pro State Championships this coming weekend, Brian Frawley. Our third guest this week returns after months away from the show. We're excited to have her back, MVP's Jennifer Sawyer. And finally, rounding out the cast this week, you guys know him well, the brand manager at Latitude 64, Seth Benley. All four of you, thanks for being with us here today. Zach Bryan, you're leading us off. There was a list of rule changes published and uh, edited into the 2024 rule book for the PDGA. So I want to know, according to you guys, what was the most unnecessary of those rule changes, Zach? Yeah, there's a lot of rules that they changed. Some of them were very small. One of them that stood out the most to me has very small changes to it, but it was almost laughable when I saw the changes about like why I like they just didn't matter to me. And that's looking at 1.09 with the ties involving rule three, talking about sudden death plays, including aggregate playoffs shall begin whenever possible on the same course and layout at the previous round on the hole number one, unless a different course hole series of holes are is designated by the tournament director prior to the start of the tournament. And going into this for a rules change here, you're looking at it because they added five words total, including aggregate playoffs and layout. Those are the five words they added. And so like looking at it, going into it, it's like you need to run a playoff at the same course on hole one, unless you're the tournament director and don't want to, and it's just like, then we should just say that tournament directors need to establish what the play, you know, playoff holes are going into the tournament, and that should be the rule. Instead, they added all these extra things to it, these two extra things talking about aggregate playoff and layout, and then still leave in there that, well, TD can still do whatever he wants. And so this rule just didn't do anything. It's just a ridiculous change. I don't get it. Okay. Brian, what's your uh, answer here? Zach, that was a lot. And uh, the next question is the better question, and I almost answered the next question in defense of why it should have already been changed. But the uh, least impactful rule to me is, is disappointing. It's, uh, it hurts my soul as an adult, as a person that tries to be aware that there is uh, more than one view in the world. The fact that we now have to have a rule that says MPO and and FPO have to be offered at pro only A tiers, and you can't just have an MPO one. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, hurtful and sad that we would uh, not include those. And I know that uh, we've had a lot of news in the last couple of uh, uh, years as far as who can play what and when and where. Uh, but the fact that we had to establish that uh, this rule is uh, in in play now is disappointing as a 15-year PDGA member. Okay, Zach, you heard what he had to say. You've got first rebuttal here. 
probably should unmute myself. Uh, yeah, so the only thing I would say to Brian's point, I do agree that that probably shouldn't have been something that needed to ever be brought up. What, like, unfortunately, though, it was actually happening and actual drama was coming from it. And unfortunately, PJ had to address it. So the fact that they put a rule in place to make sure that that was squashed and is dealt with that way moving forward is something that they needed to do, regardless if it's disappointing or not. It was necessary because it was happening. Compared to mine, like they took a rule that already said that TDs have full discretion, added five words to it, and resulted it being that TDs still have discretion. Why add details as saying how this should run? Added the layout, added the whole one, and then say, well, no, it's still TDs discretion. Like this just didn't make an impact at all. Mine didn't. But for Brian's, this was a thing. It needed to be said, unfortunately. Brian, respond. Yeah, I'll do it in less than a minute, too. Nice job, Zach. Uh, yeah, the fact that uh, we unfortunately had to add that rule is a shame. That's why it's so disappointing. The fact that we can't agree on just a standard playoff metric is even sadder. Uh, so that's a debate for a different time. All right, so the winner of this duel is going to be Zach. I think we got to go back to the unnecessary <laughs> word in the, in the question, and I think Zach answered it um, a little bit closer to that. Although, Brian, you are exactly right. That, that rule change is very disappointing to see. It's unfortunate. Um, but it is what it is. So Zach takes this win, sends us to the next one, which Brian was already segueing to. We've got Jen versus Seth. And what is the rule change that you are most excited for um, for 2024, Jen? Brian seemed to say that this rule was bad, which I understand inherently the need for the rule is bad. However, I am excited to see the PDGA mandate against discrimination. So um, players who travel together in as um, significant others or in groups really like to be able to plan together. There were a couple cases this year that Zach alluded to, and I will point out a specific one, the Kentucky State Championships, which was an A-tier, only offered MPO, did not offer FPO. I even know a couple from Michigan that was planning on coming down and playing it, but they only had it as unsanctioned. The PDGA threw that out. The AM side also did not have any female protection divisions, and it just overall feels discriminatory. So I am glad that the PDGA is actually stepping in and doing something on behalf of the players for this. In the year of the Barbie movie, I think it's important. Seth, where are you going here? Yeah, so I I love the perspective that Jennifer took. Um, however, I'm actually going to talk about um, the thing that Zach thought was most unnecessary. And I think part of the problem here is that the show notes linked to the updated version of the rules change and not the actual proposed rules change. So the proposed rules change um, included aggregate playoffs. And aggregate playoffs are a very significant uh, change because previously the only playoffs that you were allowed to have were sudden death playoffs. The reason why aggregate playoffs have been added is something that benefits all players, not just MPO or FPO. It gives players the ability when there is a sudden death opportunity to be able to play more than just one hole to determine who wins the tournament. And I think that this is a great addition to the rules. And while uh, Jennifer's rule, as, as much as she even talked about Brian's point, right? Like this was disappointing that it had to be added. I think that that was a necessary change. This change, as far as aggregate playoffs, is something that is going to further push the competitive side of the sport forward. Jen, you're up first on the rebuttal. As important it is to continue to clarify the rules that we play with, 
the aggregate playoff rules may only have an impactful result on current top-level competitive players. What's it going to make a difference between an AM2 winning first or second? Mandating divisions will have an impact on the sport way beyond those individual competitors, preventing discrimination and have a larger overall impact on our sport and the ability to grow. And that's that's my opinion. Seth, can you win the duel here? Yeah, so I think that the interesting thing with the different divisions is that what we've primarily focused on is also uh, MPO versus FPO. And I think that there are some, um, there's some credences, obviously, to having multiple divisions. But one of the things that you see specifically in like European disc golf is that most of their tournaments are one division take all. And it doesn't matter to them necessarily that they're um, who they're competing against. They're just happy to play a tournament. Whereas the aggregate playoff is something that is going to help benefit the competitive side of the sport where we are talking about videos and um, what's pushing the sport forward. And that's where I think the aggregate playoff for me is what has a little bit more importance. Okay. So the question obviously is which change are you most excited for? So, you know, it is subjective. I do think it's very interesting that Seth went off of what Zach said for the opposite question. Jen goes off what Brian said for the opposite question. That was very interesting. Um, I think both your takes were great. I think the points you had to back them up were one, two, three, four across the board for both of them. I'm going to give you both a point here in duel number two. So sends us to the third one. Brian, you are taking on Seth. MPO player of the year. Who are you going with? Take it away, Brian. What a wonderfully subjective question, and I love this. They give out awards. The PDGA gives out one. It's on different criteria. UDIS gives out one. Uh, you know, the Pro Tour gives out one. Uh, this is a, a wonderful thing. You go to Statmando. They have the last uh, 15 weeks who's in number one. You have the last, like, 15 months who's at number one. Uh, all of those things are really cool, and congrats to Kyle Klein for having an amazing last 15 weeks. Uh, if it was just on that quarter, I would say it's Kyle Klein. Um, but I'm going to let Seth take the easy two options and I'm going to go with a difficult option. My player of the year is none other than a player that won, uh, six events, seven events, uh, this year came multiple top tens. Most of those events ended with the word tour, uh, European tour. And that would be one Pablo Macbeth. How can he not be player of the year? He probably sold the most discs, uh, with his name on it. That's really important to our sport. He brought a whole bunch of exposure to a new continent that's good for our sport he won a whole bunch of events that's great for him and he had a nice birth of his son that's great for the family he's definitely the player of the year okay seth you heard papa wolf's take where are you going here yeah so i think that you know brian did a great job of setting up as to how player of the year is a very subjective thing and to be completely honest i actually had him pegged for talking more about kyle klein than even paul Macbeth, and he snuck them both in uh that being said i definitely did uh plan for the easier route right i think that the the current discussion within disc golf right now is that either calvin heinberg or isaac robinson is going to take player of the year and the reason why is pretty compelling. And for Calvin Heimberg, whenever you count um, as far as his tour points, um, all of his tour points that counted, except for Ledgestone, are all top five finishes. That's a pretty compelling season. And then for Isaac Robinson, you have his two major victories helping outweigh all of his more inconsistent finishes on tour. 
And I think that ultimately, when it comes down to this decision, it's really about the criteria, right? So if you're talking about holistically as a person, Brian has a lot of compelling points for Paul Macbeth. If you're talking competitively at the top of the disc golf game, I believe Calvin Heimberger, Isaac Robinson are the people that you're going to lean towards. Okay, Brian, you heard what he had to say with Isaac and Calvin. Defend Paul a little bit. Yeah, I set him up, gave him the two easy answers, and then he didn't pick one. Shocking. Uh, I went and picked someone. I picked Paul Macbeth. He won in five or six different countries. Very impressive, great for the sport, including a C-tier in Mexico, I believe one of the first ever PDGA events on the course that he installed. Great for the sport. I'm shocked that Seth is so small-minded since he works on that big European company to only think about the Pro Tour. That's just sad, Seth. Seth, he's taking lots of shots, not just one or two. Defend yourself. Yeah, so I think that from a, a holistic standpoint as the podcast itself and what we're talking about as far as relevant disc golf news, when you're looking for a player of the year, you're looking for someone who has something substantial to back it up. Calvin Heimberg's consistent top five finishes across the board outweigh Paul McBeth's first outside of top two finish at Pro Worlds in almost his entire career this year. Um, whenever Brian is having to dig for C-tier wins to try to justify Paul's uh, sort of relevance in this uh, in this award, I think it's clear why Calvin uh, would win out. Okay, so this is interesting. Obviously, I think from a rationalization standpoint, Calvin Heimberg is obviously the player of the year before Paul Macbeth. Whether, you're, whether you throw Isaac into the mix or not, Brian's saying Paul, so Calvin beats Paul. However... If we're looking at this question, Brian gave us Paul and had points to back it up. Seth, you gave us two and then waited to your rebuttal after Brian called you out to say it was Calvin. So for that reason, I'm actually going to give the win to Brian here. Sends us to the next duel, Jen and Zach. How can we further improve the implementation of a professional state championship in lieu of, of course, here in Michigan, we have the uh, Brian Frawley directed Michigan Pro States coming up this weekend. So, Jen, take it away. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not implying that Papa does not do any of these things at all. This is just my opinion, and I'm sure that it is the project manager and me saying this. But the focus should be to bring in bigger sponsors. We all know the importance of bringing in big, bigger sponsors. The implementation of the plan to do that is what's important. It ensures success. Um, you need to have processes and actionable plans in place to define the goals and the timelines. You develop committees for marketing and fundraising strategies. You hold check-in meetings to target, uh, to make sure you're either on target or to shift your focus. And those processes in place help to effectively manage the staff and attract more help, um, leading to more sponsorship in the end. Really, you have a more effective strategy. Good leadership is always the key to bringing in good help and having the right people at your table is very important. Disc golfers come with a wide array of professional skills, and I think we need to start tapping into those more. And people would be more willing to help if they had good leadership and know what to expect when they sign up to assist in an event. Okay, good answer there from Jen to lead us off. Uh, Zach, sorry, where are you going with this one? Yeah, so I'm going to take this in a little different direction here. Uh, I'll build off a little bit on JSAW's point here, saying that 
um, bringing in bigger sponsors and like the, the skills we have in disc golf. On the uh, Tour Life podcast, we had Will Schuster talk very briefly about how the USDGC at one point had 50 different people getting into USDGC by state championship or had USDGC bids off of that. If we had our state tours be their own tier or have their own classification so that you had to be under certain criteria in order to give out a birth to USDGC because all 50 states would be represented. There'd be good uh, stories for individual states. You could bring in the tournaments would mean something more. Um, for USDGC, you have better storylines at that event. There's a lot of benefits to doing that. You can bring in more sponsors from doing that specifically, that one change that they got rid of. And Will said it used to be really awesome too. And he was big in the sport a long time ago. I really like that change specifically, making the tournament mean something more than just it being a tournament in our state, having it have bigger pull than just that. Very interesting spin, Zach. I'm glad you went that direction. So we've got two different takes here. Jen, you're up first on the rebuttal. I, I do agree with Zach that, that having a birth process for the state championships, similar to what the AM side does now, now that it's been split pro-AM, definitely brings prestige to the event. But the underlying question is how to implement plans in order to ensure that it's successful and improve it. The implementation of plans and, and uh, approaching it in a project management perspective and bringing in those skills and the resources that our community has is, is what's going to ultimately add to the resources that will allow um, births and selectivity to bring that prestige to the event. But the implementation is what's important for that to happen. Okay, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's, I'm, I'm given one of those. I'm giving an answer to that. Jay Saw's answer here is just kind of in the nether of like, we got to do something with the skills we have. I'm saying, let's make a process not to win birth into states, but use states as a way to win birth into USDGC. That makes the tournaments more important. That means they need to be organized. We have to have top-down organization to get them into that, and it's better storyline across the board. I think I have an actual solution for what she's suggesting here. I think I win for that. All right, I'm glad you think you win, Zach. Um, I bet Jen thinks she wins here, too. <laughs> I think they're both good points. Um, the implementation, obviously, here is key, as Jen kept saying. Um, I do think, Zach, you did give enough on the implementation side um, by offering bids to USDGC. I think that is the implementation that gives you an edge here. So Zach's going to win this duel, sends us to duel number five. Jen, you are back up. You're taking on Brian. And we are looking at the state championships again here. MPO side, Kyle Klein, Luke Taylor are at the top of the field. Luke Taylor in line to potentially win a National Rookie of the Year award. Kyle Klein obviously coming off a USDGC victory. So those two aside, we'll discount those two. Who is your pick beyond those two to win here, Jen? Taking off the two highest rated players that are signed up for pro states, I assume everyone organized it by highest rated player. You're going to think maybe Kyle Williams next, who is one of the most likable guys in Michigan pro tour, right? Um, but I got to go with Nick Gill. Um, he's he's a local pro, 1,006 rated. He's familiar with Brewer. He's got 11 wins this year, 35 events overall in 2023. Over half of them are podium finishes. So um, 
Nick Gill also hasn't finished outside of the top 10 at RCO or States, which is the same layout as Brewer since 2021. Last year, he took third at States. And um, this year, I know he just got done playing USDGC and Muster Cup, but he averaged under his rating at the USDGC. But I feel like he'll feel a little bit more back home and comfortable at Brewer. We all know Rock Hill can really eat you up. And Nick has been playing long enough to know that just to let that slide. He's a great competitor and he's got the skills to do well as long as he takes states one shot at a time. All right, Jen, coming with Nick Gill and a lot of stats to back it up. Brian, who's your pick here? Yeah, it's easy to pick the only other guy that's been on DGN in a competitive form uh, that's on that list. So yeah, let's pick Nick Gill. I'm going to pick the only other guy that's been on DGN in a non-competitive uh, form and I'm going to pick a one Mr. Phil Delaunay. Uh, he's sneaky. He's a, a, a retired touring pro, if you will, back in 19. Uh, I believe he played like 35, 36 events. Uh, same thing in 20. Uh, and then had a terrible foot injury at said RCO uh, and took him out of competition. Uh, Phil recently uh, has been playing with some of the big boys and uh, uh, had a lot of practice time with, with a lot of the friends on tour. Uh, just shot Nevin recently, shot two under at Nevin, which is a great, Great score, very impressive. Uh, so if I'm going to pull someone that's not, uh, you know, on the tour or about to be on the tour, I'll take the guy running the tour in Phil Delone. I love that take, Brian. Way to think outside the box, but not entirely. Phil is an awesome player. Jen, you've got first rebuttal. Uh, those who teach don't do, or those who do teach, um, I love Phil, don't get me wrong, but his focus this year has been getting married, has been on the pro tour staff. His focus has not been on the course. And as we all know, that tournament play can really get in your head and having that strong mental game is going to be important. Um, Nick Gill again, has played 35 events this year, not Phil's 1900s. <laughs> 35 events so love you phil but my money is on nick brian uh super excited for the side bet after this j <laughs> text but uh you know phil's got nothing to lose like jen said she made my point for me he, he's done with his stressful season he's got the marriage done he's living the good life with the dog the cat the rv uh this is nothing but fun and a homecoming for my man he's gonna kill it all right jen i thought you nailed the rebuttal and I'm going to give you the win for it. The mental game point is perfect to uh, respond to Brian's uh, pick of Phil there. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see who wins that side bet, obviously. We'll know in a couple of days. Jen takes duel number five, sends us to duel number six. Seth, you are up first taking on Zach. They just mentioned DGN. So let's talk about the DGN off-season schedule. Uh, what are you most excited for on that off-season slate? And what should the fans at home kind of be looking out for? Yeah, so uh, just now, seeding uh, my previous win to Brian for the same topic, I'm going to go with the Paul Macbeth content coming out of the European Tour. I think that this, out of all of the things that the Disc Golf Network is producing, has the most production value to it. Interestingly enough, you know, I, I have to give a big shout out to uh, the main videographer, Joey Tamale. He spent way too much time with Paul Macbeth um, touring Europe. And what's going to come out of that is interviews with European players, uh, cool scenics, not just of the courses, but of the different towns that they visited throughout the trip. And the first real full length insight into life with Paul on tour, 
And I think that that's going to be some of the most compelling content that you could get out of any of the off-season content that the uh, Disc Golf Network is going to put out this year. There's quite a few other things that I'm interested in, but I'm not even going to list them because, to be completely honest, the only thing I think I'm going to watch completely is the Macbeth European Tour content. Zach? All right, for me, I see Seth's points here. One of the things I'll probably point out early on here is that some of the Seth's anticipating things that he's excited for in that video are not necessarily disc golf related. Uh, for me, when I'm thinking DGN, I'm thinking about the things that are like disc golf related from the season that I didn't get to see that are insights with the player on the tour. And so for me, the one I'm most excited to watch right now is the James Proctor um, on tour He's a player that kind of exploded in popularity this last season. He's had one of the most consistent seasons as well. We've seen him all over the place. We saw him playing on chase cards all the time. He made several lead cards. His content here, getting the insight of what this new tour kind of looks like, seeing an up-and-comer, getting a new fresh face, someone other – like, I get that we like Paul, but, like, getting a different face than Paul, it matters here. Having other players have a voice matters here, and I'm very excited to watch that content from TGN. All right, so really, it's boiling down to right now, Paul content versus uh, James Proctor content. Seth, defend the Paul content and why it's uh, more exciting. Yeah, so I have four reasons why the Paul content is going to be more compelling. The first is that um, something that probably hasn't been talked about a whole lot is that the Disc Golf Network had some cuts to their production team. More importantly, they had cuts to the production team that was creating the James Proctor on tour content. So I don't know at what state that production was in whenever they were cut. And secondarily, what we know from on tour content is that it is generically somewhere between five to 15 minutes long. It's a one piece, uh, very in-depth look at a player. Whereas third, the uh, Macbeth European tour plan is was planned out conceptually as it was being created as five plus episodes. And so fourth, when you're talking about the content slate and the thing that you're looking for for an entire off-season piece of content, I'm going to take the Macbeth entire European tour over one piece of James Proctor content. Zach? Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for the James over the Paul thing. Like like I said earlier, I've seen a lot of Paul. Uh, he had his own struggles this year, played in Europe. He had a lot of success in Europe, which wasn't a big surprise here. Um, I think us getting five episodes of us being like, oh, look, Paul Macbeth one is not that intriguing. I have not seen a lot of James Proctor content. And if it got cut, got cut to 10 minutes, I'd rather watch that than watch another 30-minute episode of, oh, look, Paul won this event, too. And look, he hung out with these people, and then he won another event. Like, the story's old that he's supposed to win, right? He's supposed to win over there, He even in a year where he's played poorly. It's, I'm over. I want to see new, fresh faces. I think that James Proctor content, even if it's limited, will be a good, fresh, a breath, you know, breath of fresh air for us to see on the offseason. All right. So I think the moral of the story is both will probably be interesting to watch. Um, but looking at this question, obviously another subjective question. You both went different ways, which I appreciate as always. However, to separate you guys, we got to look at the points used to back it up. And I thought Seth came ready on the rebuttal um, with some powerful points to drive home his Paul statement. So Seth's going to win this duel 
puts us at a 2-2-2 tie with Jen, Zach, and Seth. Sends us to a tiebreaker, which we haven't had in a couple of weeks. So your tiebreaker question is going to be if you had a chance to mandate a PDGA rule. I guess we were talking about PDGA rules earlier this episode, so it works out. Um, but a PDGA rule to limit and set a maximum number of discs a player can carry uh, during an official tournament round. What number are you setting it at and why? Zach, you're first. Jen, you're second. Seth, you are third. Oh, thank you. I, I wanted to go first so bad here. The answer is 14, and here's why. In the realm of disc golf, there's four types of moles that we can throw, putter, mid-range, fairway, and driver. And of those, we can throw understable, stable, and overstable. So if you wanted to build a grid and say you have a shot to throw every shot type in disc golf, you would have 12 slots. Then you have plus two for putting putters. If you gave that to player, I'm not saying they'd have to throw up understable putter. You can throw three distance drivers that are all overstable if you want, but you open up enough slots for players to have ex the opportunity to throw every shot in the game. Then we get to see a little bit about their planning, how much they have for backups matter, because if they lose a disc, they can't replace it until after the round. I think this is that's the clear answer. Let them throw every shot opportunity possible, and they can take the ones that they don't need. Seems like it's clean to me. All right, Zach's going with 14, hard 14. Jen, what number, is, uh, what number are you picking? Now, I like Zach's approach to identifying understable, stable, and overstable because that's how I approach practice and choosing my own bag. However, his number is wrong. It is 17. I mean, if we're going to do some ridiculous thing like, like limit discs, 17 is the number. You've got two putting putters, three throwing putters, three mid-ranges, three fairways, three drivers, and three spares. That's fair. Your, your putting putters are not your throwing putters. Let's be real. Um, 17's the number. 14 is wrong. Seth, 14, 17, what's your number? Um, I'm not going to pull the prices right and go lower. I'm going to go higher. But more importantly, um, I like as, at the end of the day, I kind of love the hilarity of Felberg with two bags out on the course. And I'm not really the sort of person that wants to limit the amount of disc. And so I'm going to take this in a little bit different direction. And so when we limit disc, um, there's still no real parameter on like, hey, if you lose a disc, you can't replace it, right? We're just saying, yeah, at all times, you have to, you can't have more than this number of discs. And I do think it's preposterous that I'm going to use my own player as an example, can message me when they're on hole six of USDGC and say, hey, I just lost a disc. Could you bring me a backup? And I can meet them at the T of hole seven and give them a disc. And so as much as, as having a maximum discount um, is is something that could be done. I would much rather see us limit how disc can be carried on the course, specifically knowing a number when we go in and knowing that that number cannot be changed whether you lose a disc or not until after the round is over. And so I'm going to take it a little bit different. I'm not going to say 14 or 17. If I had a preferred number, it would be in the 26 range, somewhere that actually fills out a full disc golf bag because uh, I don't want my disc shifting around. Um, but more preferred is saying, hey, you can't add a disc in the middle of the round. All right, long-winded answer from Seth compared to the other two. But uh, Zach, you've got first rebuttal. Yeah, so uh, real quick, I will say to mine, 
so JSAW agrees with my format, saying that putters, mid-range, fairways, and drivers. I She glitched for a moment when she was talking, and it sounded like she was saying three throwing putters, three mid-ranges, which would still add the 14. So I'm not sure where I, – I don't know where I missed the 17 at. Um, and for mine, I also like the ability that under my format, if you went to a playoff, you can tell them to limit it to five, one of each, and then a throwing – and then a putting putter, and say, okay, can you plan to the playoff holes? Can you do that? I, th- I think this is interesting. The point of this argument is seeing what could the players do, how can they plan for the course 14 lets them throw everything that's the answer i'm going with and seth took too long all right jaysaw seth took too long said he was gonna go low then he went high so he doesn't count 17 is the math zach sorry two putting putters three throwing putters three mid-ranges three fairways three drivers and three spares is 17 that gives you three spares to do with what you will and you fill in the rest. 17 is the number. All right, Seth. Okay, so it seems like I buried the lead, but the reality is is that for competitive fairness, having a rule where we do not allow players to add disc mid-round is more advantageous or more fair than limiting the disc. That's the entire crux of my argument. Um, outside of that, I think 14 or 17 either way is way too low. And so um, I think that you've got to go with uh, my decision of uh, limiting how discs are used in play. All right. So I'll address Seth first since he was the most recent. I do like your point. However, the point of this um, fun tiebreaker question was not to change the question. So. Seth, you're out on this one. Leads us down to, or leaves us down to two, Zach and uh, and Jen. And like you guys both said, you kind of said the same thing and set your argument based on the same uh, standards and got to 14. The difference is Jen says, hey, let's leave three extra slots for spares of whatever three you choose. And I think that's the differentiation that gives her the edge. So Jen, you come back after months of absence and uh you tear you tear up the panel here welcome back coming back with a bang you've got the floor what do you got for us okay thanks jake for um inviting me back it's been a long time it's been a long summer and because of that i do want to thank mvp i know some have noticed i haven't played so much this year but that's because i'm doing big business things and i'm trying to focus on that however i've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes I'm doing a lot of clinics for even some of my professional um, networking and um, clients. I've been doing some things um, locally as well as the Michigan Women's Series and kind of planning some other things. So I'm still here, just maybe not playing so much. Thanks, MVP Disc Sports, for being so supportive and still um, fully supporting me fully and truly. And Brian and Shay and Great Lakes Discs, they are also probably my biggest fans and supporters. They're, they're super helpful with the women's series events. Um, they're, they're actually storing some of our prizes right now, which I promise girls, those are coming out soon. Um, but they just do so much and I'm so appreciative of them. They're selling my JSAW Dahlia disc. So get that at Great Lakes disc. You use code four, three, six, seven, zero for a discount. And that Dahlia, do I have a little bit more time, Jake? The, the JSAW Dahlia is a, is a note to my weird love of old classic movies. So I love movies from the 30s and 40s. And the Black Dahlia murders was actually the longest unsolved murder in L.A. 
um, from the 40s, which the Black Dahlia or the Blue Dahlia movie from the 40 from 43 was actually named after the murders from 42, which is there's also another movie in 2006 um, about all of that, too. So look it up. Um, it's cool. Buy a JSAW Dolly disc. All right, moral of the story, buy JSAW's disc uh, from GreatLakesDisc.com. Um, you always get bonus time when you win. You've got the whole floor to yourself. Nobody can interrupt you. So um, wonderful. Congratulations. Welcome back to the show. The rest of you, Zach, Seth, Brian, thanks for being here. Everybody at home, Stay tuned to the Michigan Pro State Championships this weekend. We're looking to see if Phil can take out uh, Nick Gill if we're leaving Luke and, uh, and Kyle out of conversation. Like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Otherwise, we will see you guys back here in two weeks. Have a great weekend.